welcome to episode number 81 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. The NHL pause continues. We are now 90 plus days since the last NHL games and a very special episode here as the Flyers fans have been surveyed and joining Russ Cohen and I is Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic. A lot to get into, but before we get to Charlie, as we always start every podcast, first of all, I know that it's episode 81. Yeah, you got it wrong last I time. I really right. screwed up with Merrick uh, last week when we had him on, but Russ, do you have a number 81 for episode 81? I really did not prepare. I'm going to go by memory you here. never go, prepare. Listen, I think I have it, though. I'm going to go Miroslav Shatan. Wow. Satan from the Satan. Sabres. That's a good one. How about Phil Kessel? Okay. Charlie, you got another you got 81 besides Kessel Ooh. or uh, Satan? No, I, I was thinking Kessel. Shatan is an all-time great hockey name, though. Thank you. How about Jonathan Marcheseau? It's an 81. Kyle it Connor is. in Winnipeg? Yeah, that's a good one. I Three straight 30-goal seasons? Oh, I love Connor. Ones, I just – I never – I'm not great with the numbers. I, I guess I'm paying attention to too many other things, Jay. Well, our guest today on this episode is great with the numbers. Uh, he's a firm believer in analytics. I love reading his stuff on The Athletic. Tremendous work that he does covering this team and, frankly, educating the fans in this city – day by day. Charlie, you're doing a great job at The Athletic. I love reading your stuff. You're one of the reasons why I subscribe. And we're going to get into your fan survey today. But start out and tell us uh, real quick how many fans you guys surveyed. Uh, uh, so we ended up, uh, we put this out for our subscribers. Um, we just did a, uh, it was basically just a Google form type of survey. We ended up with over uh, 1,200 subscribers uh, who, uh, who voted. So a, a pretty pretty big sample. I mean, not not extremely large, but large enough that I think we're getting a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good window into how the fans generally feel about certain things. And this is something that, yeah, yeah. this, this is something that a lot of our, uh, our sites have done, obviously, you know, during, uh, during the pause, you're, you're looking for content. And, uh, and this was something that, uh, you know, it's, it's cool just to get an idea of how the fans are feeling, not just about the, the general topics, but about, you know, more in depth things. So, uh, so we went with a, uh, a 26 question survey and I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I agree. And and the thing about it, I was surprised by some of the results. Now, do you guys have a demographic breakdown on um, the people that, that kind of like the surveyed people from age or anything like that? I, I know your your audience does skew a little younger um, as being a digital outlet, but uh, do you guys like have a median age that uh, you can kind of give us a, a clue on? So unfortunately, no. Um, just because in the survey, you didn't have to put your name or any, any information. So okay. it was very much just self-selected. But uh but yeah, you're absolutely right. Our, our subscriber base does tend to lean younger just because it's an online, you know, it's an online publication. Obviously, it doesn't mean we don't have older readers, but it, it does skew a bit younger. Um, not sure what the, uh, you know, what the gender dynamics are, but I, I would guess it probably skews male. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, too, um, with, with the survey, and, and I was surprised by some of the results, and it's amazing from one year to the next, the difference that this survey may have been... Uh, the, the results have been maybe a year ago, but in just a short period of time, some of these are, are very interesting. So let's get right to it, Charlie. Um, and I kind of want to go through these almost one by one and talk about them and talk about them with Ross. I haven't talked about them with you guys, but um, let, let's start with your question. Number one, you did part one and part two. And by the way, I took the survey. So my results are in here as well. Well, thanks, Jason. And, yeah. And it was fun taking it. I'm like, kind of, you know, it's getting you thinking great questions. And, and the thing I loved about the way you did the results is, you gave the results and you gave an analysis of those results. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant and spot on. So let's start with the first question you had on a scale of one to five, one being uh, the least healthy and five the most. How would you rate the overall health of the Flyers organization? And the, the majority, 71.6% are in that four range. You even had a decent amount in the five range. Did that shock you at all to see that result? I, I guess I wouldn't say it shocked me just because the team did, you know, when the season was paused, the team was playing really well and fans were, I think, really starting to get back on board. It just was jarring considering where this franchise was a year ago. That, would, to me, was the, the big thing, was that if you took this survey last year or you know, 15 months earlier, I would think it would be in the, the two range for a lot of people oh, yeah. just because of, of the organizational turmoil that was going on. Everything was getting shifted. No one knew how things were going to play out. And you know, you, you got to give the fly credit from you know, from that sense because this could have went a lot of different ways and it looks like right now it looks like the the guys that they chose to uh to take the you know take the reins so far at least the people are happy with them yeah you look at that dave scott from ownership 
there was a big question mark. The head coach was obviously a big question mark with Hack, and then the general manager and Chuck Fletcher. Russ, where would you have rated it uh, on that scale of one to five right now? You're a harsh go, critic. I am, but I would go four. Mm-hmm. I think uh, prospect pool is deep. They've added to that a bit. They've managed to mostly stay healthy. There's been some injuries. I, I, I think if Nolan Patrick were healthy, I would have him as a five because I think that would change their lineup. It would change the complexion of what I think about their future too because I, I'm still iffy about what he's going to be when he comes back. I'm sure he's coming back, but I don't know how he's going to be as a player. But otherwise, Coach – I. I love the Vigneault move. Everybody knows it. We talked about it last summer. Yeah. I love the Kevin Hayes signing. I thought he was coming. I know people gave me a hard time about the Kevin Hayes thing. And I told him, I said, listen, him and Vigneault, they work well together. And they do. And I think, I think people put too much value on the dollar value of Kevin Hayes rather than what he was bringing to the team that they desperately needed. So all those things, you know, Nate Thompson, Derek Brandt, those were good pickups. Niskanen obviously studied the uh, defense out. They still have problems on defense, but four out of five, I think, is fair. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a very good score as well. And, you know, a lot of moves were made in the last year, and, and all of them turned out positive. Um, Chuck Fletcher had a good offseason. He's hitting it out of the park. And uh, to a lot of people's liking, and we'll get to a question regarding this on how they move forward um, it, with prospects and using them as currency and those kind of things. But, Charlie, question number two, you asked the most pressing need that this team – uh, should be addressed from outside the organization. And no shocker here, you look at 50.17% saying they need the sniper on the wing. It's the most elusive thing in hockey next to a goalie in Philadelphia, but uh, no shock with that result. Oh, yeah. People have been screaming about this for years. This, is, this goes back to the days when the top line was, you know, Drew at center, Vor or check at right wing, and then Michael Roth at left wing. And it was just such the obvious thing. If you could get another guy, and I'm not disparaging Michael Roffel, he's a good role player, but even at his best, he was never a first-line caliber winger. He was just a guy who did the little things and let the, the more skilled players, you know, create the offense, essentially. And if they could have gotten a guy who was a pure shooter, because obviously Drew and Voracek are more playmaker types, maybe all three of those guys could have had a amazing years during that time what's interesting to me now is that you know you can always use a goal scorer every team can use a sniper there there aren't that many of them that are truly great in the league at one time but every team can use that guy it's just interesting to me that you know maybe there's not as natural of a fit for that kind of guy as there was four or five six years ago but I think just everyone has it in their heads that it would be so cool if you could give Drew a uh, you know a legit 40 goal high volume shooter type of type of winger even if drew isn't at center anymore that it just hasn't it hasn't left people's minds of how much they would love to see that ross bobby brink is he going to be the next pure goal scorer for this team he's not a sniper i mean he 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 may be able to get 20 goals at the nhl level but he's not a sniper he is a guy that does play well bears and and can get goals but they passed on two snipers or at least the one they passed on cole caulfield we're gonna let that go for the moment but the other one the other true sniper in that draft was arthur calia who i never would have touched with a 10-foot pole in the first round but he went one pick ahead of him in the second round before brink now again if you are looking for a true sniper which clearly the flyers weren't they passed on two of them because they could have probably traded up and and gotten calia two picks before the kings you know but so that's that's the weird part is all the fans want that and yet the flyers didn't go for that charlie yeah, it's it is interesting because it's not that it's not that the Flyers like the people in the Flyers organization don't wish that the team shot more as a whole. Like there uh-huh. is definitely a feeling among people in the organization that like I really wish we didn't overpass as much as we do. So it's not like they don't see the problem. I, I think honestly it may boil down to the scouting department. I think the scouts preference is more towards you know the hot the, the guys with the high hockey high high hockey iq the guys right. that that see the ice well not necessarily the guys who yeah they're snipers but they because they're snipers they might not be as committed to a two-way game as the types of players that the flyer scouts tend to really fall in love with yeah and you know one of the conversations that's being revisited now on social media which is the cesspool of conversations is the <laughs> jack eichel uh the trade couturier and and you know, an asset to Buffalo for Eichel and, you know, that paycheck that comes with it. But part of Couturier's value is how do you replace him, number one? He's the team's most important player. And then the price tag. I mean, 
that that's another big part of the equation. I love Jack Eichel, but uh, I got I got to think about that a little bit. God damn it! Hold on a sec. My daughter's FaceTiming me. Honey, I am taping my podcast, so I'm gonna have to put you on a little hold here. It's all right. I'm surprised I didn't have a dog bark or a cat meow yet. What? That could still happen. Arrange my room. I will rearrange your room when I'm done <laughs> doing my podcast, honey. I gotta go. Okay, bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Oh. Visit from Ryland there. Uh, there we go. Uh, um, <laughs> now, speaking of great. Bobby Brink and uh, prospects, Bobby Brink came in number four on question number three as the Flyers' top prospect. And no shock here, uh, Morgan Frost in a landslide. Eight, basically 83% is considered the Flyers' top prospect. But can there be a case made that Cam York may be the more impactful player at the NHL level? We'll start with you, Russ. I don't think so. I I think the thing with Cam York is he's probably still two years away, I think, from playing in Philly. I think next year he'll play in the AHL and he'll be good. He still needs to get physically stronger. I think Frost, this because of this extended offseason, whether he gets in or he's just a black ace down the line on the on the reboot here, he's going to play next year and he will be stronger. And I think he will have an impact. York, I don't think, is a top-pairing guy. I think he's a second-pairing guy, and I think he'll be a really good second-pairing guy. So Frost does have that ability that if everything hit right, he could be a top-line guy, but he's probably a second-line guy too. End of the day, I think Frost is going to put up more points, and he should. He should put up more than a defenseman. York will excite because he's a better skater, but I don't think York will have the same kind of offensive production. Charlie, is, is Cam York the future point man on the power play that would be he he certainly has the vision and he certainly has the creativity and obviously the skating ability the the interesting part about about your question uh uh you know to russ is that well i 100 percent agree i think morgan frost is the better prospect I, i think he absolutely has the higher ceiling it's york may just be an easier fit on on this team than Frost because mm-hmm. of the fact the Flyers, you know, the, the Flyers right now want to develop Morgan Frost as a center. Totally understandable. It's the more valuable position. You've got Sean Gattieri, you've got Kevin Hayes, and you've got Nolan Patrick. So then it becomes, okay, well, if Nolan Patrick, you know, basically makes it past his migraine disorder, can get back and play and establishes himself as part of the future of the organization, then is Frost a winger? Do him and Patrick kind of battled out for that center spot? But it just makes it a little bit interesting with where Frost necessarily fits in the Flyers lineup. Whereas with Cam York, it's, it's very easy to see where he fits in the lineup. He's just one of the best six defensemen they will have when he gets right. to the NHL as long as he pans out. So I, I, can, I can understand that argument where there might be a fear that Frost, well, a very good prospect, might not have a natural fit in the NHL lineup in the near future, whereas Cam York's spot is more it, – it's easier to envision. That's a great point. Um, And it leads us right to question number four. This is like seamless how we're going from question to question because you just mentioned Nolan Patrick. And I I noticed that his name was not mentioned as one of the Flyers' best under 25 players right now. Uh, The results came in on this. Ivan Provorov with 39.4%, Carter Hart with 37.9%, and then Travis Konechny, the All-Star, with 21.19% and 1.49% for other. Uh, But the 21-year-old Nolan Patrick, who hasn't played a shift this year, I understand why he's not on this list, but in theory, he could end up being the most valuable asset of all of those guys, in my opinion. What do you think about that, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, you talk to people in the Flyers organization, and they they will say that you know the idea of having a right-handed centerman who can score <laughs> and can skate and has the pedigree that Nolan Patrick has, you know, it's it's really exciting. It's just a matter of whether he hits a ceiling and then obviously whether he can get past the migraine disorder. Uh, I'm not saying that people didn't vote for him. Like he definitely got a few votes. I don't remember exactly how many, but it's just the way this played out. You know, I, I put on the, on the, the ballot, every single player on the flyers is here under 25. And it just was very clear that the voters saw there being only three legitimate options. Yeah. Yeah. Provorov got 39.4, but, uh, but yeah, like, I was watching the poll because I, I had this poll open for a week. I believe I opened it on a Sunday and closed it on a Sunday. And I was watching this poll, you know, the results day after day to see how they would come out. And like every single day, Proveroff and Hart were battling for that number one spot. They were within like single digit vote totals the entire week. And Proveroff obviously ended up being the winner. But I honestly don't think you can go wrong with either of these guys picking them as your, your top under 25 player on the Flyers right now. If you remember, Charlie, where did Joel Farabee come in? 
Um, I want to say he might have gotten fewer votes than Patrick because I do think there's wow. there's there's a contingent of people who still have real hope. You know, it's just the unknown, the unknown of Noel Patrick. He's still the second overall pick. You still think of him as if everything breaks right, he's he's got star level potential. Whether you buy that or not is one thing, but people definitely still have that in their minds. Whereas Farabee, I'm a huge Joel Farabee fan. I don't know if he's a, he's got that kind of ceiling. You know what I mean? Okay, he's I, not that I, pedigree of player. No, see, and I we've seen he, flashes of that from from a guy like Nolan Patrick already. We just need to see it consistently, and him be able to be, have some availability first and foremost. I I really do think Farabee is like a twenty five goal scorer in the NHL. I do. I'm not sure Patrick will ever be that now. Uh, I I go with the known versus the unknown right now. Farabee right now with the role he's playing, this isn't what he should be playing. He's just. He happened to be fitting in the right role at the right time, so they gave it to him. But this isn't what you, you, you could expect from Joel Farabee in the future. He's a guy that is playing a role right now, but usually he plays a high offensive role, and he has a great shot, and you can see he's a really smart player. He's used to scoring. He will score at the NHL level. He's not going to score a lot right now at the age he is, at the team he's on right now the way it is. But I'm telling you, he will be a really good goal scorer. So I, I would have him higher, but – I think Flyers fans are just looking at what they see a lot of times right now with Farabee and don't see it because he doesn't get the same kind of opportunity as a lot of other guys. Yeah, but you're right. He, he does go to the right areas, and you don't have to tell him he to does. go there. There's just a, a sense of knowing where to go. Uh, I had Angelo Ricci, the Flyers skills coach, on Flyers Daily uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's obviously done a ton of work with Nolan Patrick. And I watched him work him out one day, and I'm just watching two strides, an unbelievable burst, skating, flawless hands, no wasted movements. And I think the fact that we haven't seen him play in so long and realize the pedigree that he is, he's like a hockey nerd. He's like, you know, this generation of players, they didn't grow up drinking beers and stuff like that. They went home and worked on stick handling and watched YouTube videos and figured everything out. Right. And he's one of those guys. He's got elite hands and all. If he can get healthy and bring it all together, I think he's going to be a tremendous player, but that's a huge question mark. I always say the, the most important thing in sports is availability. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't play, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, I liked him better than he year in the draft. And it just now I have to equate in and factor in what this is going to do to his career. Because I, I can't imagine it's just going to be a one-off. He's going to come back and play and never miss time again. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, it's a big question mark. Um, another big question looming over Flyer fans is the uh, expansion draft, which is getting closer and closer to an unnamed Seattle team. Uh, in 2021, they'll have that expansion draft, and it'll be another exciting offseason. This offseason will be very short, but the next one will be exciting because of the expansion draft. Who do the Flyers protect? Who do they not protect? And real interesting here, Charlie, everybody – uh, well, the, the majority of people pick James Van Riemsdyk, but Shane Gossensperger is on there, and you used in, in your analysis that will he even be a flyer come expansion draft time to even you know be able to leave unprotected? It's a big question. Yeah, that is the big question, and I would think that if if you would be if you were guaranteed that Shane Gossensperger was still going to be a flyer by the time the expansion draft rolls around, I would assume he would be the number one one choice because right now you know unless gossip bear stays in the team next year and has this amazing rebound year presumably the three defensemen that are getting protected are ivan proveroff travis sanheim and, and phil myers it seems obvious so gossip bear will be out there and those types of you know power play defensemen that can you know make the kind of plays that can fill an arena that's something that could be very attractive to seattle but van reams like you know he, he makes a lot of sense here because He'll only have two years left on the deal. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of how uh, Vegas took James Neal. Like, it kind of fits that same mold as, like, getting those goal scorer types is tough. And, yeah, he might be a little overpaid, but he doesn't have a ton of years left. So let's take them. Let's get the goals because those sort of guys just don't hit the market very often. Good leader, too. I think one of the things that's downplayed about him is his uh, ability to help you know, help the young guys out. And I think that'd be a big part of it maybe in Seattle too. Um, the interesting thing, Russ, when you look at it, do, do you almost not trade Gossis Bear because you want him to be plucked? Because he would well, be attractive in that situation and you can kind of try and dictate the terms of an expansion? I mean, there's two schools of thought. One would say, yes, you want him to have, to have him there, but it still doesn't mean the team that you want to take him will take him like Charlie said. And so you might be better off trading him and getting him right now, my dog is scared, so you might be hearing her. Hopefully, you're well, turn your air on. She, that dog is panting, man. 
she's she's 105 pounds, but she gets scared. She gets scared. Anyhow, there's there's that factor. I mean, look, a guy like Robert Hogg could be very attractive to a team like Seattle because he doesn't make a lot of money. You can stick him right in, and he could play instantly in a lot of different roles. The other thing is you just, as a Flyers fan, you hope that it's not going to – what happened in Minnesota isn't going to happen, and that Fletcher feels like he needs to keep a player, so now he's going to try and entice – Seattle, and again, we don't even know the name for the Seattle team. Can we get a name already? This is the yeah. most this is the most infuriating thing to me in, in in the NHL right now is the fact that they don't have a name. Like it's literally taken longer than any team in the history of sports. But anyhow, getting back to it, you do wonder um, if he would do that because again, giving up Eric Halla and Alex Tuck to keep Matt Dumba turned out to be horrific from Minnesota, and you hope that Fletcher learned from him. And I think he probably did. One guy who I thought made, made a lot of sense, obviously depending on how his season goes next year, but who makes a lot of sense potentially for Seattle to be interested in, interested, interested in is a guy like Nicholas Albay-Cubell because he's young, he'll be ch- cheap, and he fits the kind of profile that it seems like Seattle's looking to build where they're looking like they're going to be an analytics-focused organization. And Nick Albay-Cubell, both in the AHL and the NHL, grades out really well by the numbers. And he's the type of guy I could see, you know, first off, I don't see the flyer. But they might look at a guy like Albay-Cubell and say, because this is what a lot of Wildwood Vegas did. They looked at guys who were playing further down the lineup on deep teams that had good numbers. And they're like, you know, maybe he could be a second, third liner rather than a third, fourth liner. And you're not, yeah, you're using an expansion draft pick, but you're not not expending a lot of salary cap space to take a chance on him. And he just strikes me as the kind of guy where, you know, maybe if they don't want to take on $7 million for James Van Reems, like they take a shot on all big Bell. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, That's a good one. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, question number six, who's your favorite current Flyers player? Jeru still leading the charge. El Capitan with 375 votes. Sean Couturier coming in second. Connect me third, the all-star. Uh, Provorov coming in fifth but uh carter hart in there um coming in fourth is the carter hart in fourth there because he's only two years in is that a big part of that equation for me maybe it's just they don't know what exactly what he's going to be yet um and also just the fact that maybe people haven't quite wrapped their heads around the possibility that the goalie could be the best player on the flyers (laughs) because it's been so long um but i assume that i assume that if carter hart is as good as you know, a lot of us think he's going to be. I, I figure he'll be right up there with the top guys in a couple of years. Yeah, he is going to be that good. I think a part of it too, Jason, is look, Elliot won 12 games on the road, and that was a little bit of Hart's kryptonite for part of the season. So maybe that plays into it. I, I think Couturier is the best player on the team. I do. I just – I don't even think it's close. It's no slight to Giroux. I just sort of think that that's the way it is. I do think the most unheralded guy – and it's crazy that it could be Ivan Provorov, but it's Ivan Provorov. Like – he doesn't give you any bad shifts. He actually plays probably more than you would want him to play at times in games because he'll go back out there after like 20 seconds, which is crazy because no guy should ever do that, and, and never really seems to tire. He did start to put up offensive numbers again. Like, I don't know what else Ivan Provorov would have to do. On any other team, I think he would be a number one choice. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, lockdown, number one defenseman that can play 29 yeah. minutes a night. Uh, can you like Drew Doughty? You know, you think of guys yeah. like that, and you go, "That's the type of player you need on a team that wins the cup," um, and that's what he is. But you're right; he's not a flashy player either. No, you know, he's very um, when he skates, he's very under control. It's not a flashy stride. He's a great skater, but all of those things, and you know, you, you see a guy like Gossett Bear who's dramatic, but not nearly the player that Provorov is. Um, which person in the organization will be the most important driving the outcome over the next 10 years of Flyers hockey? No shock here. It's Carter Hart. He's only 21 years old. He's the future. Chuck Fletcher, Elaine Vigneault coming in second and third respectively. But uh, as you alluded to, Charlie, we never know the shelf life of a GM or a coach. But if you want to have a good shelf life as a GM or a coach, if you have a goalie, that's a big part of the equation. No goalie, a lot of coaches get fired. Exactly. Exactly. The, the one guy on this list that I – I, I understand why he's low, but I, I personally would have him a lot higher is Dave Scott. You know, he only got 17 votes, but I mean, you're talking about the guy who's, you know, presumably going to be making the final call on a lot of things that are going to happen, both from the hockey perspective. Obviously he defers to, you know, Fletcher and Vigneault from, for day-to-day decisions but if you're talking about big picture decisions and if you're talking about business decisions you know how much money is going to be spent on you know on everything not just players but on scouting on analytics on everything like that those are the kind of decisions that are 
made by Dave Scott and he might not be as well known as these guys, but you know, having a good owner or a good guy in charge is such a big part of being a successful organization. And to me, he was the, the one guy who, if I was just ranking my list of the most important, I think I still have Hart number one, but Scott would be two or three, I think for me. No, I, I agree. You pick him out of a lineup. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think a lot of fans know him though. I don't think they hear a lot from him. And I think that's probably the factor. I'm just wondering where's gritty on this list. Go ahead. Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a good thing that fans don't know who, you know, aren't so attached to the owner. That means what's happening on the ice is speaking for itself. And the owner doesn't need to be omnipresent all year long. Owners come out when Rome's burning right and Rome's not burning anymore they put out the fires with what they did last year when it was burning uh, firing Hextall first then eventually leading to the dismissal of Hextall bringing in Chuck Fletcher then bringing in Vino and the staff so uh, they've done a good job in that regard and Charlie where's Gritty on this list because I, I I can only imagine I, I do believe <laughs> Gritty may have gotten a couple write-in votes for this one. Um, <laughs> I, I may have disregarded them out of the uh, you know, out of the pool of votes, but I think he did get a couple write-ins. Well, question number eight tells me that a lot has changed, and I was a little shocked to see the result here, Charlie. And when I messaged you to, to come on, I said I was shocked with a few of the results, and this is the one of the ones that I was shocked with, because Philadelphia is uh, a, a very a town that is set in its ways and expectations and nothing good ever happens until it happens. Uh, but the team, and your question was, if the season resumes and the playoff structure remains basically the same as usual, which in essence it is with 16 teams after the play-in round, which the Flyers are right now the number four seed, and we'll see if they can move up. But the, um, the biggest vote-getter here was win two rounds of the playoffs. They haven't won a round of the playoffs since 2012, yet the fans think this team is far different, obviously, on a lot of levels, including the coach, to have them winning two rounds of the playoffs in, in this uh, resumed season or pause season, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and not even that. If you if you look at all of the different possible answers, so it was, you know, win one round, win two rounds, win the conference, win the Stanley Cup, 95.26% of the voters think they're at least going to win a playoff round. And again, as you said, haven't won a playoff round in nearly 10 years. And it seems like everybody is just so high on this team right now. And in a way, it almost scares me because... I can see mm -hmm. that. It's just that... If they don't win, and granted, oh. I, I, I think they're a good team. I, I think they should win a round, but this playoffs is just going to be, it's going to be so weird with, you know, everybody coming off the layoff. I think it's going to be very chaotic, and I worry that if the team doesn't win, that it's going to come off as this major disappointment, when in reality, you know, yeah, the fans have every right to expect to win, but this is just such a weird, weird playoff format and just weird in how everything's working out that I don't know if I would make any, you know, like, sweeping generalizations on the quality of the team if they don't win a playoff round maybe that maybe i would have made had the playoffs went the normal way i wouldn't only because i don't think any team is guaranteed to win a playoff round with this the way the setup is the way everybody's coming off a break like it's any it's up for grabs man I mean, uh, yeah you can't you can't look at the season good or bad even if they were to win the cup you can't look at it and say well now they can win another cup i i wouldn't do that either there's a lot of variables, <laughs> that's yes. for sure. That's a key, the key part of it. But speaking of the cup, Russ, you brought it up. Um, we're going to get <laughs> to course. something about the cup because on, the, on our day here recording is uh, an anniversary. We'll get to that momentarily. But will the Flyers win at least one Stanley Cup in the next five years? Russ, how are you voting on that? I, I think yes. I, I think everything's in place. I think if they stay away from major injury, which so far they haven't with, with Patrick, but they been able to do a good job of overcoming based on their farm system, based on coaching, based on everything else. Yes, I do think so. Okay, so they'll win their first cups in 75. Charlie, if you were voting on your own survey, how would you have voted here? I, I think I would have voted yes. It's, it's hard because the playoffs are just such a grind, and you can be the best team and not even get out of the first round. Just ask the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Um, but I do think that if you were guessing, they do seem very – well positioned especially if you know guys like Carter Hart guys like Ivan Provorov guys like Travis Konechny especially if they are as good as we think they are they're very well positioned to be a real contender over the next five years and then it's just you know you you build a good team you put yourself in position in the playoffs and you you hope that you stay healthy you hope you get the good luck and you hope guys come through when they need to you know what's going to happen now though 
in six years, if they haven't won a cup, this is going to be on Twitter and they're going to be pulling sound bites and they're going to be showing video from this, Charlie. You know that. <laughs> and that, yeah. and that slob <laughs> in Pittsburgh, Mark Madden will be tweeting oh. it. Um, <laughs> whatever about him. But um, the other, the other part of that equation is this, who are you going to match up with against in the Stanley cup final? Cause I did some research earlier. I put this out on Twitter. Um, since the Flyers won the back-to-back cups in 74 and 75, 1976, they lost in four games to Montreal. Montreal went on to win four straight cups. 1980, they lost to the Islanders in six games. Islanders went on to win four straight cups. 85, lost to the Oilers in five. 87, lost to the Oilers in seven. The Oilers won in 84, 85, 87, 88, and 90. 97, they lost to Detroit in four games. That core won in 97, 98, and 02, and then won another one in 2008 uh, with a slightly different core with Lidstrom. 2010, they lost to the Blackhawks in six games. Blackhawks won three cups in 2010, 13, and 15. Six finals appearances for the Flyers since the back-to-back cup wins. The teams they lost to in the finals won a combined 20 cups with five different finals opponents Jeez. over that same span. Is that unbelievable? Different era, though, now. Now, it doesn't, I know the, the Blackhawks uh, 2010, sure. yeah, I mean, I 2010, know, 13, and 15, isn't that, isn't that different? No, but I, I don't think you'll see it as often. Maybe not, but, but look at the 2010s. Three by the Blackhawks, two by um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, two by L.A., one by Boston, got to another and lost. I mean, it's crazy. But, like, the league through its years has, you know, decades where two teams win the Cup in a yeah. decade. And the Flyers, every time they've gotten to the finals, they have faced a dynasty. Every well, one of those teams my, is a dynasty, in my opinion. I'll give you my prediction. I think in year three of this of you asking me, They'll be in the cup, and I think they're going to be in the cup against the L.A. Kings. That's right. Well, you love that. Oh, wow. You love that. Kings. They got a lot of okay. – they have a great, great prospect pool, no doubt about it. Um, what are they doing in net? Jonathan Quick still under contract at 5.4. Oh, they have Peterson. They have Cal Peterson. Yeah. yeah. They're fine. No, you're right. And the goaltending position in the Metropolitan Division over Oof. the next chunk of time, look out, man. It oh, is yeah. unbelievable. Seriously. And Samsonov, and obviously Shosturkin or Georgiev. It's the combination of the two of them. And it's going to be unreal. Mackenzie Blackwood, if you look at his underlying numbers this year on a bad New Jersey team, were really good. So um, the, the, the goaltending yeah. in this division, Corpusallo or, or Smurzlikens, whoever there, I look at teams like Carolina, I go, what's their future? I don't know. I don't know what they got coming in net. But anyway, it's not, a, it's not enough. They're going to have to do something. No. Yeah, somehow, somehow Pittsburgh has a guy in goal with two cups, and we're like, eh. I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> but he hasn't looked the same either. And then is Jari the True. guy? Do they, do they go with Jari in this playoffs or do they go Matt Murray in the uh, best of five players? they start with Murray and then they see. Yeah, I think they do as well. Um, one of the big offseason things, uh, Rush, you talked about it earlier, was the Kevin Hayes seven-year $51 million contract. It's question number 10. When it's reached its end, how will the fans feel about the deal? We know how they felt when they signed the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't good by most people. But a lot of people, I think the Flyers have done a good job here. And not only – Kevin Hayes has done a good job on the ice, but I think the Flyers organization and marketing department has done a good job exposing who Kevin Hayes is off the ice. And I think that mm-hmm. has been as impactful an addition to that locker room as it is on the ice. And I think for that reason, I, the result here is, is not shocking to me. Um, you know, most people say it's a mixed bag because the end may be a little rough. But um, total success, 33%. That's higher than I thought it would be. I'd give it higher than that, actually. I would. I mean, you yeah, look at the I, way it started. It started off great. Yeah. 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 And I, I think a lot of people just, they still have memories of, you know, even, even contracts that truthfully worked out very well for the Flyers, they still ended not so great. Like the Flyers lucked out and they were able to use a compliance file on Danny Briere, but the end of Danny Briere's contract was, was going to get a little ugly. You know, if they would have had sure. to ride that whole thing out, he wasn't the same player he was during most of the contract, but I think everyone would have said that what he did in the first two thirds of the contract completely, you know, that outweighed the fact that he was in decline at the end. And I think the same thing very well could happen with Kevin Hayes, where he's going to be a very, very good player for four or five years. Maybe the final two years might be a little rough, but you'll still have the memory of how good he was in the first part of the contract to kind of tide you over. I mean, you know, if you win a cup, sports, it's worth it. You know? Right. <laughs> if you win a cup, it's worth it. But switching sports, like what's Bryce Harper going to look like in years 12 and 13? Yeah. Yeah. Like when Mike Richards signed that 12-year deal. 
how'd that look? Uh, I'm going to bop around a little bit too here because um, we're going long, but that's okay. Um, yes, should the Flyers trade Shane Gossespierre this offseason? We know this offseason is probably going to be a little shorter and a lot different than uh, previous offseasons. Uh, but Chuck Fletcher has said several times, you know, having the draft after the season is very important because it gives him a chance to reset his roster. Will they reset with Shane Gossespierre or not is a big question. Um, 49% of the people said they should trade Shane Gossespierre. 51% said they should not. Charlie, I believe you're in the camp of they should not, right? Uh, I mean, it's tough because I'd still love to see them make it work with Shane Gossespierre. I, I still believe in the player. I'm not, I'm not a Shane Gossespierre hater. At the same time, you do start to wonder if it's just not going to work here, um, especially because he's very clearly fallen down the depth chart. I mean, now he's a third-pair defenseman with the emergence of Travis Sanheim, with the, you know, the rebound season that Ivan Proveroff's had. Uh, it's tough. It's one of those things where if you can get a good return, I wouldn't necessarily hate it, but I, do, I would love to see them figure it out with Shane Gossespierre. So, you know, selfishly, I'm hoping that they do. It's just, you know, now we're pretty much two years away from, from Shane Gossespierre playing his best, and the question is just, is he going to get back to it? I, just, I would be considered a Shane Gossespierre hater, I think, by a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a hater. You know, I, I like them. I picked Union to win when they were in the uh, in the NCAAs, and I, that, I did it early on, and people were, like, thinking I was a nut job. But he – that's a different guy. He's lost a lot of confidence. His defense still has not come back to what it was when it was getting to at least be respectable. He misses on a lot of shots. Like, how many times has he just missed the net? He's got a pretty shot, but it doesn't even hit the net half the time. I still think he has so much value, though, that if you still – me personally, I think Frost should play wing next year. I don't know if Patrick can play a full season. I would rather get a guy who I think is a fairly – you know, get a fairly high-end 3C or 4C guy, guy who could play both, and I would trade Goss to because at the end of the day – and I'll probably get a draft pick out of it, too. But at the end of the day, that would give me the – what I think I need to be a cup contender because if those other two things don't pan out, if Frost can't play center and Patrick can't play center, you're still looking at the same two plugs they have right now and they're fine, but they're not like championship fine. Yeah. Well, the other part of this too, that I think is really interesting is we, we've heard of the issues with coaching, whether it was Gord Murphy or Rick Wilson, um, all the way back to Peter Laviolette. What was it Laviolette or was it Baruby? I think. During Baruby's tenure, I just stopped listening to the coaches and went out and played. You know, yeah. that's part of this equation as well. Maybe a reset for him would be just as important as it would be for the Flyers. I, yeah. I'm not sure what his value is on the market. I'm really not. I know that in, in the NHL, coaches think they can always fix players. If they see him do something dynamic, yeah, they, they think they can get that back. So um, what the future lies for him is, is going to be very interesting. It, look, if he comes back and he plays well, it's good either way because he yeah. either he's contributing or he's, you know, upping his value of currency. So that's, you know, it's all the good. other thing, maybe Charlie could expand on this too. Charlie, he never used to, at least I could see a thought bubble now when he has the puck on what he might do next with the puck, where before it was instantaneous, like that, that hockey yeah. IQ, the thinking was instantaneous. Now it's not. Yeah. No, Think I, on the ice, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've always viewed Shane Gossespierre as, and I don't, I don't want this to be true the wrong way, but I've, viewed him as a very emotional player in the sense that he really rides the wave and there's good sides that and bad sides and when he's playing well he's just riding this wave of sheer confidence where he thinks he can do anything and he does it and he does it without thinking and then when he's playing poorly it just snowballs and it's just he's been in a snowball seemingly for the last year and a half two years and it's it's been tough to watch at times yeah and figures the one game he comes back after they win nine straight going into the pause, they lose that game against Boston. Although in that Boston game, in all honesty, I would think it was the best he's looked in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, you did a, a quick uh, rundown of three uh, UFAs uh, for the Flyers, Justin Braun, Tyler Pitlick, and Brian Elliott. Um, the one that uh, people did not want to bring back was Justin Braun. Um, to me, Pitlick's very important here, but Brian Elliott, I think, is a, a big part of this equation as well. Do you have any thoughts on that one real quick? Yeah, um, you know, Elliot's interesting because he's not – he doesn't grade out super well by the numbers, but I feel like if you watched him, you probably have a more a higher opinion of how he played, especially with the way he was able to step in during that, that 
two to three week period when Carter Hart was injured. Um, plus, he's got a good relationship with Carter Hart. They know that dynamic works, and I think that's important. And the salary cap probably isn't going up. So, you know, look, I would very much have been in a, a proponent of them targeting, you know, if the salary cap went up two, three million dollars, you know, go out, maybe pay it a mil or two extra for Anton Kudobin or or Yaroslav Alok before he'd resigned, try to get that upgrade of a guy who can play backup and play backup at a really high level. But they just don't, they're not going to have the cap space. No one's going to have the cap space. So why, why not just bring back the guy who you know works in this dynamic and can play the second fiddle to, to Carter Hart and do it willingly? Yeah, that, that's a big part of the equation. I've always said this. Some guys are wired to transition in to be a backup goaltender. Some guys aren't. Steve Mason obviously was not. And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made as a backup goaltender as you age up. And Brian Elliott's recognized that. And I, I, I look at Elliott's numbers, and we talked about this with Steve Aliquette a couple episodes ago, Russ. Um, you know, they're not good. Uh, the save percentage, the goal saved above the expectation, all those things, not great numbers. But it, the eye test is different when it comes to Brian Elliott because he made big saves at the right time. And you're right, Charlie, when Carter went out with that uh, abdominal injury, I think he went 7-2. and two. And that was a big stabilizing factor for the Flyers. And the fact that you can throw him in there and he's good on the road in a disadvantageous position on back-to-backs and he battles in those games, I think is a big reason why the Flyers are where they are this season. Yeah, I go with the road wins. I mean, he had the 12 road wins. And when I was trying to make a case for him on another show, the other numbers do come up short. But somehow he still was winning. And he was winning good. He's like 12-5. and So it's not like he's just winning a little bit. That's enough for me to bring him back. Yeah, and I, I was a stumping for him in that offseason over Cam Talbot, and uh, I'm going to – not Cam Talbot. Is it Cam Talbot? No, it was Cam yeah, Talbot. It was Cam Talbot. Yeah, 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 you're right. Okay, yeah. it was Cam Talbot. Um, but, and, and I'm glad they brought him back. And when I talked to him at training camp, I said, you know, how did the company – he said it just happened really quick. Team made him an offer. He liked it, wanted to stay, likes it here. Good situation working with Carter Hart. So he's good to go. So I imagine they will bring him back as well. Maybe it's a, a one or two year deal, but we'll see how and that Pitlick, plays out. You could fill I that think role. Pitlick's important. Yeah, he's but, important, but you can fill that role with somebody. You yeah, can. but there's the thing with that role though, Russ, is if you fill that with a younger player, sometimes with a younger player, you don't you it may have more upside, but you don't know the the median. Mm-hmm. With Tyler Pitlick, you know exactly what you're getting every game. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's, he's so consistent out. in what he well, does. He's not great. Right. And I'm not trying to say he is, but the known commodity that he's going to bring, what he's going to bring to the table every night, as opposed to that bipolarness of a young player who can go really high but really low and fall out of confidence and ride waves. Now, Pitlick's a guy that's just a pro's pro. But he, he's that guy that can cap you out. I don't remember exactly what he made, maybe a million and a half. Let's say a team offers him like just over two. You're not gonna. You're not gonna pay that. That's, that's he ain't gonna getting be... that in this free agent market. Yeah. No, but yeah, you don't that, know. That's the, that's the big thing. Yeah, I, I think truthfully, with Pitlick, it's just going to come down to price. And it will. if 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 there is a team that offers him, you know, three years, two million a year, the Flyers are going to you know say thank thanks for what you did for us this year. We right. can't match that. But with the way the cap is going to stagnate, I don't know if that kind of money is going to be out there for guys like Tyler Pitlick. Well, I mean, yeah. there's a few teams. It all depends. But I, I'm just saying there will be a point where you can't cross the line of you're the Flyers money wise with him because sure. you just won't have it. Yeah, and he doesn't play a significant enough role. Um, jump, jump into part two uh, real quick. Um, you asked a really interesting question with 19. Uh, how would you prefer Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers approach the next five seasons? And we know how it was under Ed Snyder before Ron Hextall took over as the GM. They were going all in all the time, and they did it for decades. And in a non-salary cap league, it, it got you to a lot of finals. Um, you, took a, you, you brought a lot of guys in that was the right player, but the wrong time in their career from Paul Coffey to Adam Oates to whoever that might be. But – um, real interesting here. 79%. You didn't mention Yuri, no Yuri DePita? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> or, no, or Yuri Laterra. Um, <laughs> but most fans voting for the moderate approach try and improve the team via outside additions, but avoid trading first round picks for top pro- and top prospects. I, very, I, I'm, I love this result because it's prudent because you need to have those players coming in. Look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and Jim Rutherford and how he's handled that. Uh, that's how he can get more kicks at the can. Um, you know, by he brings in some splashy players, and eventually the credit card bill is going to come due. Uh, but he also has players coming up. They're one of the better drafting teams, Jason. They're actually one of the better drafting teams yeah. too, though, and that has kept them going. Yeah, absolutely. From Gensel and uh, players over the years, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you shocked at that result to be in that strong, Charlie, uh, with that moderate approach from a Flyer fan. I mean. I'm happy about it. You know, that's, that's the approach. That's the approach that I would advocate for. This is a case where I do kind of wonder if 
it was it was dictated a bit by the sample of our subscribers because you know the the, the people they're paying to read the athletic tend to be the more like the fans who follow the prospects and follow the cap right. and they're they're they know because if not you're you're not going to pay for a service to read read articles unless you're really really invested in every piece of the organization and i feel like those types of fans may be more they may have a better understanding of how important it is to have a prospect pool and how important it is not to get yourself in a salary cap hell whereas you know another type of fan might just be like no get me the big the biggest name player on the market and if you don't that's not good enough so in this case i think maybe the type of subscriber that we have may have dictated this to a degree but i do think a lot of it boils down to the fact that fans remember how the Paul Holmgren era ended yeah. and was the Paul Holmgren era fun for a long time yeah it was and a lot of that was dictated by Ed Snyder wanting to win a cup before he died but they remember how ugly it turned out because the Flyers were left with no prospects no defense core and a cap situation that took years to fix and I think yeah. they're afraid that that might happen again which is why they're hesitant to go in that all-in path again yeah I, I read the piece you did too on the 10 Flyers trades and there's a lot of Paul Holmgren trades in there, the best trades. You look at the Richards deal, the Carter deal. Um, you brought them all to light. And, there, and there's a lot of Paul Holmgren in that as well, trading Chris Pronger's money. <laughs> uh, yeah. He I made mean, a lot of trades. Yeah. He made a lot of good trades. He made mm -hmm. some bad trades. Paul I mean, Holmgren just did a lot of things. And sometimes was, they were good. Sometimes they were bad. What was interesting was um, I was sitting in the stands at the draft, and I think it was the Minnesota draft, and – we hear the Flyers have traded into what, the top eight, I guess it was. And I'm there with Steven Wino. He tells me, and we're about to go interview all the prospects, and Couturier is on the floor with the other, like, top five to eight prospects that we could interview. Boom, you know, we go right over to, to Sean Couturier, where before it was like, that wasn't even a thought. Like, the Flyers were even going to be remotely involved with anything like that. And I was glad Steve told me, because he happened to just look at Twitter – right before, because literally the, like the NHL just said, okay, you guys can go interview everybody. And he looked at it and he goes, Russ, look at this. And he told me, and I was like, I was legitimately shocked. The only reason he was there is because he had mono that year. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, because he was the top scoring guy in the queue. I mean, yeah. there was no question how good he was going to be, but that definitely helped it. Yeah, he comes into the NHL, makes a team out of that first camp, didn't even have hair under his armpit yet. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was a kid and still, you know, and then you saw flashes with that – uh, hat trick in that playoff series and and then now he's become the player that he has and his value to me is so high for this team it's it's amazing and it, oh yeah and just like the maturity that he is now like he, watching him mature from that kid that didn't even have hair under his armpits to now being this this player complete player that he is is amazing but Charlie you even pointed out in your story that um, you know when they made the trade getting Couturier was a byproduct of luck that wasn't you know, they still would have won the trade even if Couturier wasn't the pick there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's hard. You know, it's hard to to judge those kind of trades because obviously they didn't trade for Sean Couturier. They traded for the draft pick that became Sean Couturier. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I believe, I, I think if they didn't take Couturier, if Couturier wasn't there, I think uh, Brodeen, who's on the wild, was going to be the pick. And Solid I mean, player, that wouldn't man. have been as good as Couturier, but he's a damn good defender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to jump to question number 24. There was an overwhelming majority for uh, Ron Hextall's tenure being um, uh, a success. No shock there because I think the people really recognize uh, the young core that this team has. We talked about it for years. Oh, there's prospects coming. There's prospects coming. Everybody's going, oh, stop with the prospects. Prospects don't mean anything. Uh, but Hextall's tenure was good. We don't even need to discuss that. Um, but I, I want to go to this next one because um, this is interesting to me. It goes on a scale of one to five. How excited are you about the Flyers now compared to before the 2019-20 season? And one being significantly less excited, three just as excited, five significantly more excited, and five is is the winner here. But I, I'm really stunned that people there was a few votes for three or for two rather, yeah. eleven votes that they're less excited. Is this just people not reading the question correctly? How could yeah, you be less I, excited? I, yeah, I was surprised at that too. <laughs> I, it's possible people just read the question correctly. Maybe there are some people that don't like the direction. I don't know why you wouldn't like the direction, but like hey, the maybe there are some people. Yeah, maybe there are some people who really aren't sold on Chuck Fletcher, who think that the the the, the Flyers' core isn't actually good. You know, there's some weird opinions out there. Let me tell you. I, I think it's more of when you're a fan base that hasn't had that success in a while, 
and trust me, as a Met fan, I know this, even though they <laughs> did make it to the World Series not that long ago, but I didn't think they'd win. When you do feel that way, you do get to the point where you're like, all right, just show me at this point. I, everything can look as great as it can look, and I'm still going to be skeptical. And I think that's all it is. I think just skepticism is there until they prove otherwise. It's the Negadelphians hanging around. Right. You know, they, they just nothing good will ever come to us. And it's like in 2008 when the Phillies won, it was like, okay, that's 25 years, 100 seasons of sports where we didn't win a title. Yeah. And, then the, and then the Eagles go on to win with a backup quarterback. Flyers got to a cup final in that period of time, but again, haven't won a playoff series since 2012. So I, I, I'd like to take all those people and put them on the island of misfit toys. Stop living that way, you miserable SOBs. Um, Charlie, the, the, the fan survey was phenomenal. Your analysis was great. Uh, I want to wrap up this episode with this question. Ten years ago today was when Patrick Kane scored the overtime goal in game six. Yeah. On Michael Layton, who was in a VH position. Had it been a year later when he finally integrated the RVH, Russ loves Oh, my God. Will you stop? <laughs> well, he's talked about there. this. He goes, if it was a year later, I would have been in an RVH post-integration, and that puck would have never gone in because the puck would have – the, the pad on the post would have been down. He never would have seen the puck. None of us saw the puck. That shot was so fast. Baloney. <laughs> it was a great shot and a great release by a great player and then a Hall of Famer in Patrick Kane. Uh, but that being said, uh, let's start with you, Charlie. What do you remember about that night? Where were you? What was the feeling? And what was the, the fallout for the next couple of weeks after? Yeah, that was rough. I, I remember I was watching it. Uh, I was watching it in my, my college dorm at the time. Um, we didn't have cable, so I was watching it on a uh, on an online stream uh, that we had up on our TV, and it was just it was just total deflation, I guess is the best way to put it. You're just you know when when the Flyers sent that to overtime, you just had this feeling that th this has to go to seven games. At the very least, it has to go to seven games because of the craziness of the run and the the three zero comeback and everything like that. It went it went into Overtime, it just felt destined that the Flyers are going to score. And for them to lose in that kind of fashion where it takes you a minute or two to even realize they lost, it was just – it was like the epitome of anticlimactic. How did Carter not bury that one with a minute to go? <laughs> <laughs> How did that not Never go Never be in? forgiven. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Who knows you know, what, actually, what happened in game seven? Where were you, Russ? You were there, I'm I sure. Was, I was there, and – I had just gone downstairs because we were in the crowd. We weren't in the press box. Yeah, they booted you and, out. Yeah. Yeah, and because it's, it's just never enough room, right? And and I was worried that with the way the Wells Fargo's elevators are, and they're not much better now, um, that I might not get down there in time for interviews. So I got down there and was watching it on closed circuit, and still we didn't know if it went in. And then you see Kane celebrating, and then you hear Lou Nolan saying – it's under review, and I was just like, what is happening here? Yeah. And so it was all shock. But I, the, the biggest thing is still to this day, we don't know where the goal, game-winning puck goal is. Either Pronger has it or a referee has it. I think a referee has it, and when that referee retires, whoever that is, they will put it up for auction. At some point, 10 years from now, we're going to see it up for auction somewhere. But I think it's amazing that, that that puck has completely disappeared. It's never happened before. Like, you always – the Hall of Fame always has a Stanley Cup game-winning puck. Yeah, and for that goal, too, they didn't even know it went in. Now they can't even find the puck. Um, Doc Emmerich's call on it was, you know, he was befuddled as well. They had no oh, idea. Yeah. Um, and I don't blame Leighton. I looked up the numbers, Jay. Here's the thing. If you look it up, Anthony Emmy had a 1.32 GSAA, and, the, and at least Leighton was like a 3.2. So mm -hmm. say what you want. The Emmy gave up a lot of goals in that series, too. Yeah. It was, it's widely known as the worst goaltended Stanley Cup final in the history of the game. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's weird because Leighton in the conference final shut out the Montreal Canadiens three times. He was good, 30-plus save yeah. efforts in all of them. Um, and they went, they get by the Canadians who were just barnstorming and Halak was unbelievable against Washington. Um, the, the night it happened, I was doing the games at that time as well. And I remember wrapping up the post-game show. And the only guy that came out to talk to me on the radio after the win or after the loss was Chris Pronger, you know, stand-up guy. And look, he's never found a, a, a microphone he didn't want to talk into. Right. Um, and he was great and talked to him. And I think I talked to Ed Snyder that night as well and did an extended post-game show. And then when that was over and I kind of packed up my stuff in my little NBA one locker room there off the Flyers uh, tunnel, I just went out and sat on the Flyers bench until like 1231 in the morning. 
and watched because while it stung from a Flyers fan perspective and having grown up here and, you know, that that's the team that I rooted for as a kid, but to see that trophy and to see what it does to grown men who win it was so incredible to watch. And I'm watching it and all their families down there, beers everywhere, guys in full gear still until I left there at one in the morning, all on the ice. There's so much snow on the ice and just walking around and taking, you know, everybody carrying the cup, taking pictures and it just gave me an appreciation for what it must feel like to earn that that trophy cuz i mean i mean everybody that played the game as a kid always dreams of you know winning the cup and you know, to to have to see those guys what it meant when they earned it and that was the first one in chicago in a long time oh yeah you know and great team and great players and everything duncan keith and taves and kane and everybody um it was really cool to see that and i'm glad that i stayed even though it it sucked in the moment, but it's the lasting memory I have of that cup. That cup you know what else was in interesting, Jay? I, I was interviewing, really talking at first, and then asking yeah. if I could interview Scotty Bowman on the ice, right? And he pointed up in the crowd. He goes, you see those, I don't know, 215 people? They're Blackhawks fans. They came on plane. They came by bus. They, and I was, like, impressed that he knew the exact number. And then he goes, hold on. And Jonathan Taves literally skated right by us with the cup. And I took a cell phone shot and I posted it. I saw on, that. On Twitter today. That's, and, and that wasn't the best cell phone that I could be using. But I was just struck that he, because even Bowman saw him coming. He goes, hold on. He wanted to take in that moment too. And it was, you know, whether you like the result or not, that kind of stuff is still great. Did Scotty go get the skates on? No, like he did in he Detroit. Didn't. Remember, he got the he skates not, on. No, what he a did beauty! Not have skates. And of course, Stan Bowman was the GM of that team. And you know what? The uh, other thing happened in that locker room. So that was the last time we were allowed as NHL reporters in the locker room because what happened was right after the game, we went into the Chicago locker room and we saw them celebrating. Kane had like climbed up on the shelves. He was going crazy, spurting champagne around. And after like a minute, they kicked us out. The, uh, the same guys that let us in kicked us out, and then we could only go out on the ice. And then following that, the next – because we always used to go in the locker rooms. And then the next year, it had only been on the ice because they were letting us sort of do both for a while, yeah. and they stopped that. We were never allowed in the locker room again, and I think it's because we saw too much. Yeah, well, and Kane can throw him down. He, oh, yeah. He's proven that over the years. Um, I, I lied. I said that was the last thing. But last thing real quick, I want to get a final thought from each of you guys. We have some clarity on the playoffs. We're in phase two. Welcome to phase two, everybody. Uh, I've I've ramped up my training for beer league as well. Um, (laughs) But beer league's ugly all the time. Um, Your bad hips, yeah. But uh, the 2014 field with the play in round best of five, but all four rounds, you got to get 16 wins to still hoist that trophy. Charlie, how do you feel uh, about what's kind of uh, come out and and the way they're going to do this? And how do you like the Flyers' chances in this format, which I think is really interesting and only upside to move up from the four seed? Yeah, that's the big thing for the Flyers is that this is is about as good of a structure as they could have hoped for because obviously they go in as the – the four seed in this playing round it sounds like there's only going to be three games you know one game against each of the other teams and if they lose all three whatever you use that as a warm-up if they win a couple or if they win all three they could end up playing against you know the lowest seeded team that makes it out of this playing round and they could get this massive advantage so you know I, I love that for the Flyers um you know what what you do worry about is that you know they were just playing so damn well you know, going into the pause and it's whether they can recapture that. You know, I talked to Brian Boucher last month and that was his big concern is, you know, can they rediscover that? And that's something where I do think having a coach like Elaine Vino is going to help them because he's such a good coach that if anybody can help them recapture it, it's probably someone like him. Um, But it's a little concerning that, you know, they were maybe playing, not that they're not a good team, but they were maybe playing a little bit over their heads going into that pause. I I don't know if they'll be able to recapture that, but yeah, you know, going back to our, our survey, I, I think they can at least win a round. And to me, to me, you win one round in the playoffs this year is an unqualified success. You win a couple, then it's getting really exciting. Yeah. And Russ, I talked to so many players during the pause for Flyers Daily. I think just about every player except for uh, Michael or Claude Giroux, actually, is the only one that hasn't had any availability. Um, and they all cited Elaine Vigneault's bench feel the feel on the bench, his way to run a bench, knowing when guys are going to get them back out there quick. I think that's going to be a bit, I think I totally agree with Charlie. I think that's a huge factor. 
Yeah, I mean, game prep, Vin is a pro. I mean, we all know that. The, the only, and I think they're set up better now than they would have been without the pause or without the pandemic. So I think their, their chances are, are excellent moving on at least one round, but they definitely have a path to the cup. Whether they can do it or not, it's another story. Believe it or not, and this is where my mind goes, as hot as Scott Lawton was, is he ever going to be that hot again? I can't imagine it's going to happen. He was such a big thing in those winning, in those games with secondary scoring and everything. I can't imagine he's going to come out that hot again. That would surprise me. Well, I just talked to him uh, yesterday. So oh, I'm sure he told you he will. But you can, you can <laughs> check that out on Wednesday's edition of Flyers Daily. You'll hear the whole conversation. Talked to him for about 25 minutes. So uh, make sure you check that out. Shameless plug for me. Guys, this was awesome. Uh, Charlie, I, I love the work you're doing on The Athletic. If people that are listening to this or watching this had not subscribed, um, do so. And uh, make sure you follow Charlie on there as well. Follow him on Twitter at Charlie O'Connor. Follow Russ on Twitter at Sportsology or myself at Jason Mert or the podcast at Stick to Hockey Pod. In the meantime, that's episode 81, everybody. Enjoy uh, uh, staying healthy because we're getting closer to hockey. I don't know when it's coming back, but it looks like it's coming back and uh, we're another day closer to the puck hitting the ice. So thanks for listening to Stick to Hockey Podcast and we'll talk to you next time. Since 1500, 16, finds attack and oversee. Now call him Mr.